Welcome to Paper Boys, the weekly podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I am your host for today's episode, James, accompanied by the wonderful co-host, Charlie Kelly. The wonderful co-host. That's about, like, the, my magician The name. co-host. Yeah. I hope you uh, This feels a little weird, James. Why is that? Well, because it's morning right now. Yeah, I think this is the first time, except that one time when we accidentally deleted the, yeah. the episode twice that we've recorded in the morning. The first time we've intentionally recorded in the morning. I know. I have a cup of coffee here, and it's quite pleasant. Yeah. We're definitely shirking our grad school responsibilities right now. That's okay. That's okay. We're, I mean, it's science related. Yeah, and it's a free country. I don't know how that's totally pertinent, but true. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. So, James, what are you going to be talking about on this episode? Well, if you've been following the news lately, you may have seen the recent Nobel Prize in physics being awarded just this week. So, in today's episode, I thought it would be interesting to pull up one of the papers to learn more about these recent discoveries and awards. Oh, so this will be actually like the paper's written by the recent winners and it's like the paper that won them the prize yeah so it's a little um so this year's prize in physics went to three people one dr jim peebles worked on i think background radiation wait what did they sorry what did they win the prize for i'm like out of the loop on the nobel prize sadly they won the prize in physics for the discovery of an exoplanet orbiting a solar type star and for theoretical discoveries in physical cosmology Together, they're sort of awarding this year's prize to these scientists who've really helped us understand the universe and sort of upset previous models that we had of what's happening. Okay, that seems worthy to me. Yeah. So I'll be focusing today on the paper that is the discovery of an exoplanet orbiting a solar type star. Cool. Was it like the first discovery? Uh, This is interesting. Ooh, okay. We'll dive into it. We'll dive into it. Okay. Yeah. So if you're tuning into this show for the first time, James and I are both PhD students, and we have read tons of papers in the course of our own research, and so we've kind of uh, we've kind of developed a skill for being able to parse through them and pull out good information, so we thought that we would start this podcast as a way of sharing that love for science and our, our knack for reading papers to dive into mainstream science and kind of take down misinformation that might be covered in news media. We are the paper boys. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Please check out our Twitter and Instagram, at PaperboysPod. We've got lots of cool stuff there. We share news articles and uh, other and cool science on there. Specifically, we shared a Nobel Prize news article recently, which I think will be relevant for today's discussion. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty interesting article. Yeah, I mean, kind of like whether the Nobel Prize is bogus, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we give it a lot of merit and sort of commonplace views of science, but there, it's not without its own problems. Yeah. So check out our Twitter for that news article. Also, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. It is a great way to support the show. James and I are, we are but lowly graduate students. And uh, we, I mean, we do this podcast essentially for free in our spare time and we love doing it and we would do it for free forever. But Patreon is a really good way to make this a more sustainable hobby of ours. And um, it has done a lot for helping us to support just the small costs that we incur in producing the show, and then also help us sort of add some more content on top of that. 
So we have bonus episodes through our Patreon. This month's bonus episode is wild. We've been getting a lot of really good feedback on that. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, this crazy story of the rats of Nim, if you're familiar with the children's book, based in scientific research that actually happened. Yes. Not the rats running away and creating their own society, but... Uh, <laughs> but the rats being trapped in a utopia that collapsed into apocalypse. Yeah. That is a true story. Sort of some weird like Aldous Huxley stuff going on there. Yeah. It was a deeply unsettling paper to read and a very funny paper to cover in a bonus episode. Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah. Our patrons have given us really solid feedback and they loved this this month's episode. So please go check that out. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. So, James, you're covering the Nobel Prize in Physics for this is the 2019 award. Yep. Okay. And it was awarded to this group of three physicists essentially for their discovery of an exoplanet. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So the three award winners, just for context, were James Peebles for theoretical discoveries in physical cosmology, like I mentioned earlier, and then two scientists, Michelle Mayor and Didier Kellos, for the discovery of an exoplanet orbiting a solar-type star. I'll be covering the second one, the discovery of the exoplanet. Okay. So those two researchers like worked together on that? Yeah, yeah, they were both um, astronomers at the Geneva Observatory in Switzerland. But for the work that they were doing here, um, they were actually making observations using what's called the LED instrument from an observatory that's near Marseille in France. Seems like two pretty cool places to have your observatory. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you could do a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, I saw the award for the Nobel Prize, and I'm always interested in astronomy and cosmology so i thought it would be interesting to start like looking at it and realize this was the perfect candidate for paper boys because people will be talking about this there's a lot of news articles that are out there right now just you know bringing up the fact that these folks were awarded so i also see you're wearing a highly relevant t-shirt for today's episode i know i i got in the spirit i'm wearing my favorite glow-in-the-dark star shirt it's bringing me back to like kindergarten in in a good way no, it's like literally super nostalgic. This shirt is like from 1995. My parents, I think when we were kids, like bought a ton. Growing up in Arizona, there's like all this <laughs> astronomy stuff. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take a picture of you, James, for the gram. So everyone knows what we're talking about. One of my favorite parts about this shirt is that there is a constellation labeled here as poop. <laughs> but like that's actually <laughs> like it's not the poop constellation, but it's like it's is it like it's like not German, a joke like it's not a joke like p-u-p like with an umlaut or something no no no. it's p-o-o-p on the <laughs> oh shirt God. okay so cool. definitely a kindergarten shirt definitely a kindergarten shirt cool still glows in the dark amazing well i appreciate the shirt so what is the actual paper that these two astronomers wrote that won them the nobel prize yeah so the title of the paper is a jupiter mass companion to a solar type star what this means is they essentially found a Jupiter-sized planet going around a star that's not too dissimilar from our own, okay. our day star. I can see how that would be like a very, very exciting discovery. In 1995. In, yeah, oh, in 1995, wow. Yeah, that was when this paper came out. I feel like we're a little bit desensitized now to like exoplanets because we have, you know, like the Kepler Space Telescope and what are the other ones, like TESS? that are discovering exoplanets just at an insane rate. I mean, we have like thousands now, right? Yeah, I mean, I have a plot of the discovery of exoplanets in my notes. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, early 90s, there was like nothing. I think there were some indications. It's funny. There's just this one tiny blip in like 1995. Yep. That's the first one. And, and then just nothing. 2009, we launched Kepler. And it's just it's like this exponential growth. It's yeah. insane. And I mean, and the last so the last data point. So it's like a it's a bar graph. And each year is just a bar showing how many have been discovered. The last year shown on here, that's 2014. It's like literally off the chart. The graph has to be extended considerably just to fit that one. Yeah, and I think the total number of exoplanets we found so far to date is like, it's over 4,000. That's insane. Yeah. That's so many. Yep. So, I mean, they're winning. They won the Nobel Prize. I'm assuming that means that like they were the first to discover one of these planets, right? Well, that's interesting. It's actually not the case. They weren't the first to discover an exoplanet. Okay, wait. What? <laughs> so, the first exoplanet to be discovered discovered was by i'm gonna butcher this name it's a polish name but uh wolson and frail in 1992 published a paper saying that they had discovered a pulsar that had two planets orbiting around it a pulsar yeah with planets yeah okay that sounds like a terrifying place to live <laughs> yeah you're Isn't just a pulsar like, like a blasted by radiation right yeah yeah i mean a pulsar is a star that's essentially like rotating really fast and there's this big jet of high energy radiation i think right okay uh, well yeah sure <laughs> i mean to my non-knowledge yeah but that <laughs> well, sounds so, wild so i mean this in this case it's like did they find an exoplanet yes is there any chance that it could support life no oh so like so everyone acknowledges like yeah these guys discovered the first exoplanets but no one cares because they're like nah, eh, it's not like earth well, they cared but if you find a planet that's orbiting a star like our own, then suddenly the universe becomes a different, it's a different neighborhood that we're in. You it know? means that our solar system may be typical. Typical and not unique. Oh. I mean, it's unique. Our solar system is great, but you know. We're special. We matter. We matter. But so do these but other no, I, I mean, I guess I understand. I mean, but it seems like, uh, okay, yeah, uh, fine. It sort of it kind of goes back to what is the Nobel, what is really the meaning of the Nobel Prize? It seems a little bit. If I were those Polish researchers, I'd feel a little bit shorted. Yeah, totally. So were they actually the first one? The Polish researchers were the first to confirm an exoplanet. However, <laughs> you're qualifying this big time. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's really interesting. Uh, I could we could do a whole episode about this, and maybe we will for a bonus episode. Mm. But in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, what was that? Um, subliminal advertising in 19 1914 to 1917 was this like prolific time period for the set of observatories near la i think they're the carnegie observatories <laughs> when you say observatories near la i just think like that would never be there today well they're the, still there really yeah but i mean like you know but like there's the fountain foundation of like the jet propulsion lab and stuff right like that. right but i just think of like now smog and light pollution together yeah. would make that a very bad place to build an observatory totally all those hollywood stars just sparkling too much <laughs> good one <laughs> <laughs> wait so hang on hang on we glossed over the fact that you just said 1914 are you about to say that they discovered an exoplanet in 1914 they so okay yes and no qualifying it again oh okay they came up they got evidence of an exoplanet but it wasn't really until like 2014 when some professors from ucla were preparing for a presentation 
And essentially, they were digging up this old data from astronomer Adrian van Manen. Manen? <laughs> uh, looks like it might be Dutch. And they realized that this evidence that he had pulled up actually proved that this star had an exoplanet around it. Whoa. But, but our understanding of the stars, it was essentially this white dwarf with this pollution around it. We didn't understand how this pollution could get around it. Could, it could actually exist around a star. Pollution meaning like he just observed some sort of like anomalies near the star? Yeah, there were particles around the star that normally we'd think would have to be pulled in by the star's gravity. They were so close, you're like, how do these exist so close to the star? And it turns out they can exist if you have a planet nearby that sort of propels oh, the particles them weren't planets. The particles weren't planets. I was going to say. It's sort like, of this indirect observation of the. Gotcha, gotcha. That's wild. So then these researchers in 2014 found that data and they were like, oh, Adrian Van Manen had an exoplanet on his hands and didn't even realize it. Yeah. Did they go back and observe that star and confirm that it actually does have a planet? Yeah. Yeah, they have. And I actually think it has a few exoplanets. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Man, that's so sad for uh, Van Manen. Like, he could have been 80 years ahead of it the rest of the game. 70, 80 years. Yeah. And also just like to make an observation like that and he probably thought like wow that's pretty interesting but never knowing like i just observed something that completely changes the way that we understand like our place in the universe yeah i mean that's like a that's like a copernicus level discovery you know like i think it's a testament though to like the quality of these telescopes and the quality of the you know the process for collecting the data and storing it yeah i mean that's still a, an amazing testament to his ability as an astronomer. Like the yes. fact that a hundred years later, people are going back and making discoveries with your data. Still pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. But he'll never know. Yeah. So sad. So that brings us then to 1995 and his observations. Great year. OMC had just released their smash hit, How Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> this shirt that I'm wearing was probably hot off the press. Uh, yeah. Heavenly Bodies shirt is... <laughs> Topping, topping the indie scene. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the context, Charlie. Um, Third Eye Blind's about to release their debut album. <laughs> Was Kurt Cobain still alive? No, I think he died in like 93, 2? Okay. I don't know. We're still in the dark ages. Still in the dark ages. Post-Nirvana. So 1995, this paper comes out by Mayer and Killows. So that was the paper that I read for today <laughs> okay, wait, what? Just, what do you mean that was the paper and that was so it. what did, so what did they do in their actual so the paper you said the title was something like jupiter mass and like solar type star yes okay so, so they're like they found a planet that is similar to the size of jupiter yeah and so this paper outlines their observations of the star 51 pagasi and essentially what they found was that there was some perturbations to the intensity of the light that they were seeing. Hmm. So they used this spectrometer called LED that was instrumented onto their telescope. And they used this technique called the radial velocity technique. So they were essentially looking at Doppler shifts in their observations of this star and found they could start backing out the speed at which it was moving. Okay, so you're going to have to unpack that for me. So they have a spectrometer attached to their telescope. Yep. And the spectrometer gives them like the exact makeup of the light that's coming off of this star. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then 
you said they're measuring the radial velocity and a Doppler shift. I can back. I can sort of break this down a little further. Yeah. So admittedly, I know a little bit about how exoplanets are discovered. And there's I think there's a couple different techniques. I don't think I've heard of this one, but I know one of them is like if the planet passes in front of the star, then it causes like a dimming of the light. And so they can measure like there's been a transit of the planet across the star. Yeah. So from what I understand about measuring exoplanets, like you said, there's sort of like five main techniques. There's actually like dozens if you like break them down into right. sub techniques, but it's you could directly image the planet. You could which is like impossible to do. Yeah. Right. Like haven't we not even really done that? Or maybe there's like only very recently they've done that or something. I think there's just very few instances. Yeah. Like very small percentage of the total ex- number of exoplanets have had that. Uh, there's a micro lensing technique, sort of like we've talked about in previous episodes with like. Yeah. Last black week holes. we talked about this. Yep. Yeah. So micro lensing is just like the gravity bends around it. You have to have a really heavy planet for that. Yeah. And uh, the other one, like you were just mentioning, transit makes up the majority of the exoplanets we've seen. Right. Where the object passes in front of a star. And so you see this blip in the intensity of the light. And then this one, radial velocity, is a measure of Doppler shifts in stars. So because it's a star that's actually moving that they're measuring. Yes. Okay. Because it, you have a massive planet and that even though the star is massive, the planet has some effect on it and that affects. Wow. That must be so sensitive, like their instruments, because we're talking about measuring the gravity effect that Jupiter has on our sun, not vice versa. Yeah. So I mean, wild. Their instrument has a sensitivity of about 15 meters per second for velocity. 15 meters per second. It's pretty crazy. Measuring a star that's like probably thousands of light years away or like hundreds. Do you know how far away the star is? Yeah, the star's over 50 light years away. And they can measure, like, I mean, 15 meters per second, That like, that's like a car speed, you know? Like, they could measure the speed of a car at 50 light years away. It's, I mean, it would have to be giving off enough light, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a, that's like a great, like, Carl Sagan analogy. Imagine you're driving your Buick 50 light years away. <laughs> yeah. Like, a cop could tell you if you were speeding, if they had that instrument from 50 light years away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wow. And in the 90s. And this was in the 90s. Yep. So do they still use that technique now? Or was that like what they did just in the 90s? They do still use that technique now, which you can see in like the plot of exoplanets discovered over time. There's a great plot, even just on like Wikipedia, that shows the number that were discovered and the method that was used. But up until mid-2000s, this was the primary way for discovering them. Oh, okay. So that's surprising to me that the transit technique was implemented after the radial velocity. Like the radial velocity one seems like the hardest of all of these, if you ask me. It must just be, I mean, my guess, I'm not by any means an expert on this. I think it's just that for the transit technique to get the accuracy, like you need a space-based system. Oh, and that's That's why like Kepler Space Telescope has measured all these using transit technique. Possibly. I mean, it could also be like, once we launched one of them, we came up with better techniques for doing it. So now maybe you can do it from Earth. But yeah, or maybe the amount of like light dimming that occurs because of a transit is even more ridiculously small than 15 meters per second sounds. Yeah, you know, that's like totally maybe possible. you need even more sensitive instruments to do transits. Yeah, that's possible. Okay, sorry. I don't know enough about the transits, but my mind is like blown by this, the sensitivity of this instrument. So if I can kind of just recap, what's happening is that you have this Jupiter-sized planet orbiting a star that's sort of like our own sun. It's 50 light years away. 
and when these two things when this planet is orbiting the sun in reality they're actually like technically orbiting each other but yes. the center of mass of the orbit is like so close to the center of the sun yes but and because they're orbiting each other that sun is wobbling a little bit right yep and that's where exactly. the radial velocity comes from yeah and so when the sun you can imagine it's wobbling and so if you're looking at it in part for like half the wobble it's basically coming towards you mm -hmm. and the other half of the wobble it's moving away from you this causes a doppler shift which then using a spectrometer when it's coming towards you you see this slight shift towards the blue end of the light spectrum right when it's moving away you see a slight shift towards the red end of the spectrum right and so by comparing those i mean this is mathematically very solid you can start to look at like what's this change in velocity and i believe i'm now expert on orbital mechanics i turn that over to you <laughs> but you can start to put together the orbital parameters based oh. on okay could there be any other explanation for finding a measurement like this, though? Or is it like for sure that means there's a planet? No, it doesn't mean for sure that there's a planet. We observe this in other types of stars. But this paper actually does a pretty good job. I mean, it's a short paper, five-page paper. But they do a pretty good job of going through and discussing what are some potential alternate explanations and why does the explanation of having this planet fit best? Hmm. So what are some of those explanations? So one is this effect called pulsation. Pulsation can easily yield this, uh, these changes that they saw in velocity. Pulsation meaning? The star itself like sort of grows and contracts, I think. Oh, and that would produce like a thing that looks like a Doppler shift? Yes. Wow. But That's really weird. But essentially, the velocity variations that you would expect from this, they match previous observations for giant stars that people had witnessed. But 51 Pegasi is pretty small. It's like the size of our sun, which I think in the grand scheme of stars is relatively small. Yeah. And so it's not really it's not really possible. Like they had never witnessed this, I think, in stars this small. So I see. Pulsation didn't quite match up. I see. Another option was called spot rotation. And I don't know a ton about this, but essentially with spot rotation, you expect this specific chromospheric index. I think it's like a measure of the color of the, of the star, okay. essentially. I, I just gave a very confused look when you said that, but we'll just, we'll just fly It's very jargony, it. sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. The star that they're observing, 51 Pegasi, has like, it has an orbital period of four days. Whoa. It's really short. So this thing is like really close to the sun. Yeah, I'll like get into orbiting. that. It's crazy. So like it's, this is not a habitable planet. It's not habitable. Okay. No. But... Uh, so it's just you, like, wait, it, it doesn't, like, this spot rotation doesn't match up. Okay. Basically. Wait, so that's is, not an alternative oh. explanation. Oh, because spot rotation would have a period of something longer than that? In order to get the chromospheric measurements that they had. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So they're just, they're just axing other explanations. They're like, they they see their Nobel Prize through this thick brush of alternative explanations. And, and they're, they're just, pulling out the machete. They got the machete out and they're just... Chromospheric hit and spot rotation? Get out of here. It's like, Kuros, watch out. <laughs> There's a pulsar. You got a wild pulsation in front of you. <laughs> Quick, get the machete. Snatch it. All yeah. right. So they're just hacking these explanations down. Are there any others? Indiana Jones style. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've got the little like bag of, they're trying to grab the golden totem and they're, they've got their little bag of sand ready to put on the Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what they're doing. We'll delete that terrible reference. but <laughs> I mean, that's most of it. Those are like the two main ones. 
Okay. And then further, they had some other like observations for, through a personal correspondence with another astronomer that while it wasn't like definitive support, it had helped to help their case. Okay. Where but, did where did the other like the third winner's observation come into all this? Uh, it's actually very different. Oh. He, he doesn't play a role in this paper. Oh, OK. I guess I kind of assumed like this supported their like their discovery supported his or like his discovery supported theirs or something. But it sounds like it's more just kind of a collective, like, when you add all these up, it changed our view of the universe. That's my understanding. Because okay. the Nobel Prize can be awarded to up to three people. Right. And so... They're just trying to cram in. I was, Yeah, maybe, like, you know, the committee is like, well, you know, there's this one guy who did this thing. And then there's two guys who did this thing. And they both sort of support the same story. Yeah. And they both had an impact. So they're yeah. like, well, give it to all three. Okay. All right. So, I mean, they've shown, like, I guess beyond doubt that this is an exoplanet. But I feel like we kind of jumped right over the fact that it has a four-day orbital period. Like, that's alarming. So, I mean, there's a relationship between the orbital period and the distance to the star. Yes. That's why, like, Earth's orbital period is one year. Jupiter's orbital period is, like, many years. Mercury's is, like, days, you know? Days. So this planet is uh, orbiting at 0.05 astronomical units from the star. So this is closer to the star than mercury is to our sun oh my gosh and they've and estimated it's the size of jupiter yeah, technically it's half the mass of jupiter okay yeah. still it's a big i mean it's a big planet it's a big boy yeah it's really close to the star so you know there was some we were talking about alternative explanations one other thought was they've observed these binary star systems where there's two stars ro rotating around each other yeah and they were they were able to eliminate that too Okay. They discuss the methods. But one thing that I thought was really interesting in this paper is like, you know, you have this big gaseous planet close to a star. Like, why didn't it just burn up? Wait, this planet is gaseous? Yeah. I just assumed that if it's that close, it has to be rocky. So, yeah, why doesn't it just burn up? Well, so they do an analysis of the, uh, the escape velocity for particles. Okay. What does that mean? So... It, this is really cool to me. So if you talk about planets and how close they are to a star and like what sort of atmospheres they can support, essentially, if there's too much thermal energy, the gas particles have enough escape velocity to actually like leave the gravitational pull of the planet and oh. float off into the, the atmosphere. Okay. Yeah. We talked about that in like the Mars terraforming episode. Yeah. Like yeah. that's how a planet can lose its atmosphere if it is... If literally they have enough energy to, yeah, like you said, escape the gravitational pull. Yeah, and it's really cool. I mean, I don't do these calculations at all in my research. So I'm like, <laughs> the math is like sort of out of my scope. But right. like looking at the analysis, it's really neat because you're essentially looking at like, well, these gas particles have this mass and, you know, there's this much thermal energy. And then you just compare the escape velocity to the velocity of the particle. And it's like if one's greater than the other, then boom, you lose it. Yeah, you've lost that or, that gas. Or it stays. So what did their analysis show then? So since they weren't totally sure about the properties of this planet, they had to make some assumptions. But yeah, because I mean, they don't even have like a measurement of what is in the atmosphere of it, right? Yeah. And so essentially what they're saying is this planet used to be a brown dwarf. A brown dwarf's considered like a planet that's like 15 times bigger than Jupiter. So it's not big enough to be like a star and start forming into a star, but it's like bigger than sort of these big gas giants it's like a 
fail don't they call it like a failed star or something yeah i saw that term come up so my understanding from the paper is like this is a brown dwarf that's been evaporating oh wow so it used to be much bigger like something like 15 times the size of jupiter it, i think so yeah but we just caught it at a time when it's still gaseous but you know I, in, in some period of time later it could just disappear Wow. So they say the atmosphere of 51 Peg B, that's what they're calling this planet. Yeah. Uh, has thus probably been affected by evaporation. Like, because given its proximity, you know, it's probably being stripped of some of its gas. But wow. For the time being, it's still there. That's crazy. It's yeah. so close. Like, I mean, you would just see this, like, ball of gas, like, right next to this giant star, just, like, zipping around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's like it's like unimaginable. Totally. And what's kind of cool is like they talk about it briefly in their paper, but they were looking at the velocity perturbations of the star itself. Yeah. And they saw some like other secondary movement and they're like, you know, there might even be a second planetary body here, but they yeah. don't get into that very yeah. much. I mean, odds are that there are, right? I mean, now we know like most stars like this have lots of exoplanets. Yeah. And What's cool is, you know, this work was in 1995. So, I mean, that basically wraps up the analysis of the paper. But this paper has had a lasting impact. And um, even in like 2017, people have gone back and been analyzing it some really? more. And this star is also probably like a cool, like intrigue for astronomers, you know. Like they're probably all like, oh, yeah, like, you know, ever since 51 Peg B. Or like maybe they all kind of like to observe it and be like, yeah, look, if you... It's like when you first get into astronomy and it's like the first thing you do is you you find like Jupiter. Yeah. You know, because you're kind of like, well, that's what Galileo did. And like, and we can observe it using a regular telescope. Yeah. These yeah. You get a telescope people. and I mean, it's in the constellation Pegasus, so you can find it. Yeah. Or at least it's area. So like exoplanet people are probably like, oh, yeah, like for our class, we're going to make an observation of 51 Peg B and find the whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's probably not true because measuring that radial velocity is probably really hard. Yeah, I'm just looking this up right now. So it's actually, it is visible with the naked eye too, the star. So Oh, nice. Now I want to go out and look for it. That's really cool. Um, Maybe it's right there on your shirt. Totally. I mean, Pegasus is on here. So so there's 51 Peg B. Boom. Exoplanet. I think I can see it wobbling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just me shaking <laughs> from too much coffee. Yeah, your caffeine jitters. Yeah. But uh, this is actually really cool though. So, you know, in the paper they put... I say, you know, I'm presenting the paper. <laughs> in the paper, they did an analysis to set the upper and lower bounds of what they thought the mass of this planet could be. They thought it could be anywhere from like 0.5 the mass of Jupiter to like five times the mass of Jupiter. In 2017, though, some astronomers were actually able to do a direct detection of the visible light spectrum of the planet. Are you serious? Yeah. So did they confirm like the atmospheric assumptions that, that they made in 95? They did. And they found two other cool things. So one was they confirmed that the mass was 0.46 times the mass of Jupiter. Dude, that's got to be so satisfying for these researchers. Yes. And get They're this. spot on. They found traces of water in the atmosphere. No way. Yeah. Wow. Kind of cool. That is really cool. I mean, yeah. it's not like you can go there and live there and drink it, but... <laughs> no, no but, but I mean, it's this idea, and I think this is why they won the Nobel Prize, is like... It lends credence to the fact that there are stars about our size with planets orbiting them. And even though there's no way life could live on this, the temperature of the planet is like 1300 Kelvin. You know, 
it's possible you just yeah. you only need a couple different changes and you have a planet that's you have these goldilocks planets which they're starting to find tons of yeah yeah i mean i think another way of looking at it is like i mean the one of the best like counter arguments to is there life elsewhere in the universe is like well no i mean look at how extremely unique like the earth is you know like it well it has enough water and it has a temperate enough climate and the sequence of things had to happen for life to start and then to evolve to the point that it has now yada 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 Mm -hmm. as we look out in the solar system and we start finding things like this we can start to knock away some of those assumptions like water is not unique i mean we have other planets and moons in our own solar system that have oceans yeah which Mm. we've discovered you know so and then you can also start to say like water is also not unique to our solar system yep discovered it in the atmosphere of this other planet and like tons of i mean I have like an episode that I didn't do that I have notes for from like months ago of like discovering water on an exoplanet, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's this sort of foundation that gives other researchers confidence to start looking and finding this other evidence for potential life all throughout the universe. Or even just even if there isn't evidence of the life there, if you say like, well, the reason why life is unique on Earth is because Earth is really unique for all these reasons. But then if you can say, well, no, Earth is actually not unique for any of those reasons. Therefore, maybe life is also not unique. Yes. You know, so I totally understand why this discovery kicking off that whole process of like taking away all of our assumptions of Earth being this grand special thing would win the Nobel Prize, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's uh, seminary, the right word. Seminal. Seminal. Seminary. <laughs> Seminary. Oh. Yeah, it is It is sort of a religious revelation. But it, it's, it's kind a, of... It's it's, a, yeah, it's a seminal work yeah. leading up towards everything that we found so far. And it's also... I mean, it's kind of why I said it's like a Copernicus-level discovery. Like, when you make the switch from saying like, oh, the Earth is the center of the solar system to like, the sun is the center. It's a very subtle change, but it's like, it fundamentally changes the way that you look at everything. When you realize, hmm... We're actually not that special. Yeah, yeah. You know, with so many discoveries of exoplanets, it's like it's almost noise in the news now when they're like new exoplanet found. Yeah. But it we've talked about this before. If you go back thirty years and you say it's so it's common knowledge in modern day society. If you go back thirty years and you're like, Oh, there are exoplanets, people would be like, What? Yeah, that's insane. That's this insane. Pa- this paper's only twenty four years old. Yeah. And, you know, we've come a very long way, which I think demonstrates the importance of this work yeah man that's so cool yeah so i mean it was a fun paper to read and you know i've gotten detuned uh, to like the news that's coming out just like we mentioned and so i don't know just reading this paper got me a little bit more excited yeah and it's also cool to see like you said you know now it's common knowledge it's cool to see sort of where this originated where this whole idea of exoplanets like i mean that must have been a very radical like time in astronomy for someone to come out and say, we think we've discovered an exoplanet. I mean, that's at that point is like a purely hypothetical concept. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so it sounds like there's a little, there's some after notes at the, at the bottom of the paper, which was published in nature, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, so I think they re- initially presented these results at a conference in Florence. And then after that conference, they actually got, some additional support from other astronomers who looked and helped confirm their observations. So that's oh, kind of cool too. That's really cool. Yeah. That's so, like, that's basically like insurance of saying like, don't deny us because we're not look, the only people saying this. 
Yeah. And one thing, you know, like in our bonus episode, we covered the discovery of DNA. And that was like, there are several groups that were like neck and neck to discover it. And Watson and Crick were really like, I mean, they were kind of lucky, like they got the paper out right in time. And that was a group of papers that came out, etc. But one thing I don't really understand in the context of this paper is who else was really close to this discovery? Were there other people using similar instruments that were close? Uh, so, it, I mean, it'd be interesting to look back and Nobel Prizes can be controversial sometimes when people feel left out. So it'll be interesting to see the commentary and conversations that pop up. Yeah, I'll be really curious. And I think that's why this article that we tweeted out the other day was written was because they just announced the, you know, this latest round of Nobel Prizes. Mm -hmm. And the article was kind of saying the Nobel Prize is not really fair. Yeah, that it totally overlooks the contributions of people who've done really important things for science. And unfortunately, typically that overlooks underrepresented people. Like in the history of the Nobel Prize, there's only been in physics, there's only been like four female winners or something yeah. like that out of like 200 something. Yeah. And there are many female physicists who are making huge contributions. Right. That aren't getting recognized. And like you pointed out about the discovery of DNA, our bonus episode, like Rosalind Franklin did not win the Nobel Prize because they have a rule that it can't be awarded posthumously. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, is that a fair rule? If like Rosalind Franklin's work was worthy of a Nobel Prize, then, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they bring it up in the paper or in that article, too. It's like, is the problem with the Nobel Prize or is the problem with our perception of the Nobel Prize? Exactly. And, you know, at some point they have to make a decision. And it's cool that they can honor people like this. And I can see it being like a big motivator. But it's important to understand, and one quote I really liked from the article was that the scientist said that science is like the most team sport ever. Yes. Which is, I didn't say it very articulately, but you know what I mean? It's like... But it's true, yeah. The LIGO experiment that won the Nobel Prize has like three pages of authors. Yeah. and But then only three scientists won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. And then I saw they plan to split the nine million, whatever, like Swedish what is it kroner or yeah prize among the three of them and i'm like well what about the all the other researchers like why don't you share some of that with them you know yeah totally i don't know it's just it does it does kind of i think you're right in one sense it's a good motivator i think it's ultimately probably a good thing that this science gets recognition but it can contribute to this air of like making celebrities out of scientists which is not yeah. really what science is about, you know? Yeah. And we, it can be problematic, like instances they mention, because when you have this, lever, this level of celebrity, you can say sort of whatever you want and people hold it in a very dogmatic fashion. Hold yeah. it to be true in a, this dogmatic fashion, which is problematic. Yeah. And I thought that that article, um, we should probably say what the article is. Do you have a link to it in this? Or? Yeah. And we'll post this article on the site. Yeah, the article is called The Absurdity of the Nobel Prize in Science. Oh, and what it points out is that the prize is specifically awarded for a particular discovery. It's not like a lifetime achievement award, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that's what people maybe, where, where people have a disconnect when they look at someone who's won the Nobel Prize. It's really, a, it should be a reverence for the one specific thing that they did, and everything else has to kind of stand on its own laurels, but that's not really how it's perceived. Yes. Yes. So who knows? I think we sort of have a changing time socially with science. I think for the best. And 
really trying to give recognition to the people who do the work. The internet's helping a lot with this. Social media podcasts too. Yeah. I know a couple of good science podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I like to think, you know, maybe in 10, 20 years, the Nobel Prize will catch up. It's, an, you know, it's one of those like established old school prizes and it takes time for those things to change. But I'm optimistic at least that in the future, the process will become more equitable and fair to everyone who's actually contributing yeah and also given that the work is usually you know 20 30 40 years old that they're awarding it to hopefully the fact that now we have a much more progressive scientific community that of course has lots of room for improvement but a lot of the progress is happening now so maybe in 20 years the work that is being done now will be worthy of nobel prizes that are more representative of the science yes like when you, Charlie Kelly, are sitting on the Nobel Prize Committee, mm-hmm. you can make uh, can make whatever changes you want. Yeah. I'll say, hey, my uh, my buddy James did some cool research back in the day. <laughs> Nine, uh, we have changed the award to 9 million kroners worth of Papa John's pepperoni pizza. Yes, exactly. Man, think of what that would do to our Paperboys listenership if we won the Nobel Prize. It'd be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Vote Paperboys for the Nobel Prize in podcasting in 2050. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, thanks for bringing that paper in. Yeah. I mean, I really loved learning about that. Some cool techniques. Definitely. If if you want to read uh, that article we're mentioning, we'll post it on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. As always, we seek your feedback. Tweet at us. Instagram DM us. (laughs) I don't know how Instagram works. James runs that. You said it exactly correct, Charlie. Okay, good. Our handle's at PaperboysPod. And then finally, please, we would really love it if you checked out our Patreon, patreon.com slash PaperboysPod. We do bonus episodes every month. And as we mentioned at the beginning, this month's episode is like absolutely wild. Like there's this creepy guy who's running this mouse utopia and like nicknaming them creepy things like the beautiful ones. Uh, Yeah, we've talked about it. But in the introduction to this paper, the first paragraph, he brings up the four horsemen of the Armageddon. So I don't think I really need to say anything more than that. It's a crazy paper. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you get those bonus episodes for just pie dollars per month. It's like what, you could just skip one cup of coffee and I'd... get a nice bucket of knowledge in your ear instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> just a bucket of knowledge. Yeah. I literally bought pie this week because it's pumpkin pie season. Was it $3.14? It was more expensive than that. Wow. So yep. for less than a price of a piece of pie. You could just get that bucket of science in your ear. Yeah. Technically, we're getting infinite. You're actually paying infinite money because it's this irrational number. The decimal <laughs> the decimal of the number of cents you pay goes out to infinity. Yeah. So but it's, it's still less than expensive. $3.15. Cents, so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check that out. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We really, really appreciate the support. We love our patrons that we have now. And, uh, and we'll love you too if you decide to support us in the future. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. Bye.